Thank you for choosing this British Journal of Sports Medicine podcast. My name is Dr. Sean Carmody, and for the second time, I'm delighted to welcome Padraig Carrington to the podcast, along with his longtime coach, Liam Hennessy. Padraig doesn't need much of an introduction. He is a serial major winner in golf and the current captain of the European Ryder Cup team. Padraig, thank you for coming uh, onto the podcast again. Um, the things I'm looking forward to discussing this time round is the impact of psychology with respect to golf performance and how strength and conditioning is becoming such an important part of allowing golfers to perform at the highest level. And I think that's often where the challenge lies for coaches and practitioners. It's, I mean, the easy thing is to say to do nothing, um, but the, the challenging part is, well, how can, how can we push this and, and how can we do it in, in the right way um, that allows you to perform at the highest level, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with you from, from your, your perspective. That is the hardest thing. Uh, you, have, you have the player who's, who, who doesn't want to risk anything by changing anything. You have the player who's lazy and you'll have the player who's exceptionally motivated that, you know, will always overdo it, will always do extra, uh, you know. And then you have the player who will want to do it but won't do the necessary uh you know, groundwork so that he can change or push on. So, yeah, you're, you're on a team element. You're you're trying to manage so many different personalities. Uh, obviously, at this stage, I should know my own personality. Liam knows it, so we're just trying to keep me on the straight and narrow, which should be easier. I, I don't envy your job when it comes to managing a, a squad of forty players. Thankfully. As an individual, that's the beauty. Find out what works for you, how you are as an individual, and uh, and you know, focus on on, on on being true to yourself. Yeah, and and Liam, you you were an individual athlete yourself, and and you've obviously worked with Podrig, and you've worked across team sports. I mean, how how do you approach managing that dynamic? The the whole education element um, is implicit within from where I am and Podrick is within coaching. So it's a, a journey of self-exploration and a journey of learning about yourself. Um, go back to uh, something even Podrick's father, Paddy, said to me um, way, way, way back. Um, he was asking me, what did I think that, I, uh, that, that, that was important for Podrick? Um, and I was... I was rambling on about oh, mobility, um, you know, all these probably modern words in sports science, mobility and get him stronger, more stable and that. And um, he listened to me for a while and then he said, and then I said, well, what do you think? What do you think my role would be, should be with Podic? And he said, well, I think the most important thing is knowing what not to do. It, it goes back to what we've been saying. Knowing what not to do becomes part of the learning process as well, from Podrick's point of view as well as mine. So the education of learning what works, what doesn't work. Now, we've tried many, many, many methods in, in terms of developing strength, power, speed. It wasn't a, just to try them, just to let's, let's do this and randomly do it. No, it was to, to stimulate, reinvigorate, to provide variety, because if you do the same old, same old, same old over, over and over again, you get stale. But it's an education. It's about we finding out in Podic, learning, yeah, hey, this, 
this really doesn't work or oops, you know, as a result of this and developing tightness, which could lead on to something. So the education in it is about the education of the self. Within that, that's why I suppose having a long-term relationship and the plan, Podic has changed over, over time, such that what would have worked decades ago might, mightn't be appropriate now. So, so that education of not just what works, but over time you have, to, you have to modify and amend and change. Try to do that then with a, a team, with a group of 30, 40. You need a lot of staff, but you need a lot of continuity. And one of, one of the things often that surprises me within a, within a squad of players is the regular changeover of the coaching staff. The implications for the team athlete then are huge in the sense of there's a new coach, there's a new approach, there's a new S&C coach, there's a new setup. And the, the relearning for everybody is huge. And that takes time. And often you see when teams ha, uh, have, have changing staff in a short period of time, um, and I could give many examples, they don't tend to get back on winning ways. You know, they, they just don't uh, as quickly as those who have continuity. But continuity brings an awareness of the individual in a lot of those situations. Everything that you see new and trendy in strength and conditioning, we have tried. And you might say, you tried it, did it work? And we go, yeah, it was interesting, you know, whether it was occlusion or whatever it is. The great thing when you look back is we're always doing something a little bit different, which makes it interesting for me. I'm 49, well, nearly 40, 48 years of age. I'm trying to train like a teenager, a young, you know, a guy in his 20s in the sense of I'm committed to my sport for close to, you know, at the top level, I'm, I'm close to 25 years of being committed trying to do the same gym, gym work every every week every year would just not work like i've been out chop, chopping wood i've been using chains there's always measurements help but definitely changing what i'm the emphasis of what I'm, not the emphasis but changing the type of gym work i'm doing helps me feel invigorated about doing the gym work because otherwise it would just get boring humdrum and i just wouldn't be into it the, the buzzword at the moment is time under tension, which is very nice when you're getting older. It means you don't have to lift as heavy. Uh, you just have to, it's how much time you're under tension of the lift. So every time I'm doing my, my, my lifting and things like that, I'm thinking, yeah, just take my time, keep myself under pressure a little longer. It's not all about, you know, the, trying to set a personal best that I've gone. The days of me, you know, certain, certain, personal bests are probably gone for well they are gone for me so now i have new ideas and new goals that just keep me motivated to go back to the gym which i think that's not normally a problem obviously with a younger like a younger athlete because they're they're enthusiastic for all that's possible but for an older athlete like me the enthusiasm has gone out of it you know trying to convince yourself that nirvana is 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 going to arrive next week if you've tried this new exercise that ain't there but having variety just keeps me interested and uh, you know if to be honest i really like strength and conditioning as in 
I, I sit there and discuss it with, 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 with coaches and, and want to know what's happening. I have a passion for strength and conditioning now based on the fact that I have, Liam has kept it interesting, kept changing it up, which is, uh, as you mature, is very important. And it sounds like that willingness to innovate has, has I mean, allowed you to stay at the, the top of the game. I am now at my fastest speed ever. At this moment, if I was to play, I would be bringing my fastest ball speed, club head speed to the golf course that I've ever had. There's a point there you were talking about travel and, and golfers are really good when it comes to travel. Uh, but the biggest key we have, and, I, and I sometimes when I, when, I, when I see this with football teams, they put so much emphasis on a football team with getting the jet lag right. I think sometimes it scares the players into believing that you can't perform. I have so many psych, psychology rules or basically little things I tell myself that convince myself that no matter what happens, I can still perform for a day or two or three or four days. No matter what jet lag I have, I can get by. And I think that's the number one rule when it comes to travel is you've got to convince yourself. It's like, you know, no matter what happens, you'll still be like for a soccer player. Look, it doesn't matter if you didn't sleep a wink last night, you still can play for 90 minutes. Okay. You wouldn't be able to play three days in a row having no sleep, but we know that one night's sleep deprivation has no effect on physical performance. So if I don't sleep on a Saturday night because I'm nervous, I know it won't affect my performance. By knowing that means I will sleep on a Saturday night. And I think that refers back to jet lag. People who are worried about jet lag don't sleep. I go to a golf tournament and I have turned up late to tournaments in Asia and I'm meant to have jet lag. And I go, yeah, look, I didn't sleep. I slept an hour or two, but I will get through the four and a half, five hours. No problem. I may fall over tired afterwards and have to go to bed in the afternoon. I was... I will do the discipline things as in I will wear uh, compression clothing traveling. I will hydrate. I will stay on the time zone when I get there and uh, go to bed no matter how I feel. You know, at 10, 11 o'clock at night, I'll stay in bed. I won't turn on the TV. I won't open the curtains. I will stay there until, you know, 6, 7 o'clock in the morning. No matter how I sleep, I'll get up. I'll push through. The, I do all the things that are right. I'll go to the gym. If I'm falling asleep in the evening time at, at five or six o'clock and I don't want to go to sleep, I'll either go to the gym or go for a walk. Anything to keep me awake for those couple of extra hours, I will do. I have all those disciplines, but the biggest discipline is to keep telling your players it won't affect performance in the short term. You can get away with it. And, and I, I often wonder, are we scaring people too much when it comes to jet lag and and the truth of it might be there but the practicality is the player has to play at least send them out with the mental confidence no he won't lose any sharpness he won't lose any speed it's he might feel dreadful but when he gets to the pitch it will be there and, and convince him of that because it, 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 i said i definitely think the mental down from thinking that your performance isn't there can affect the physical performance uh, more, much more so than anything. Uh, that, that's a br brilliant insight, Padraig. And uh, you hear of Eddie Jones with the English rugby team uh, would purposely ask the bus to come, bus to turn up late uh, because he wanted his players to be able to cope with that and cope with that uh, impact to their schedule and, and still perform. That's the same with superstitions. 
I don't have. I I would fight superstition so much. I, I the, the craziest things. Same with golfers' warm ups, thinking that they have to have this perfect routine to warm up. The end of the routine has to be good, but the routine superstitions you can perform without them. Fine if you want to do them, but you've got to understand if you have an hour warm up and you only end up for whatever reason with twenty minutes. You can play. You can perform. It's it's not gonna. You know, it's not ideal, but you don't walk on the. You walk out there and you go. Yeah, it's not going to affect me at all. I can play with this, and uh, I think players, because they're being told to have a routine, they think the routine is gospel. Whereas what really is gospel is the last bit of the routine. Everything else is superfluous. The last bit that causes you know pulling the trigger for me on the golf course. That's what's important, not the bit that goes before it. Even though I will run through it, fine, but I continue to tell myself I've played great golf when things haven't gone right. I, you know, the, the superstitious one, you know, having a lucky ball marker or silly things like that. Yeah, I suppose they can work in the short term, but they they definitely tend to lead to more trouble down the road. And I, I'm. I'm such a doubting Thomas. I want to disprove things like that as well. So I, I would go on my way to if somebody told me there was a super, there's a superstition that you you shouldn't win the par three competition at the Masters. I've won it three times now. I'd love to have said I went down and won the Masters to prove everybody wrong, but I win the par three competition to give myself a chance of proving everybody wrong because they say, oh, if you win the par three, superstition wise, nobody's gone on to win the Masters. Well. That's only just because there hasn't been that many masters. It's going to happen. Well, look, I, I'm, I'm conscious of your time, and I don't want to keep you much longer. Uh, that's been absolutely brilliant in terms of the the insights you've given from from the athlete's perspective there. Which you know, sometimes we, when we're involved in research and and looking at the evidence, we we neglect to to include the most important people in the process, and that's the athlete themselves. So that was really really fascinating to hear hear from you about that. Um, I can't end with, without asking just uh, your your perception of, of coronavirus and how that's impacted um your your experiences um in golf and and and, and how you've adapted to that it, it it is incredibly strange times I, I think it shows up but how a lot of people operate their lives and how they think i tend to take a very prudent view to anything that can affect my uh, my quality of life in terms of health so i i see this a very small risk of catching it and a small risk of it being serious, but the seriousness of it means that I should avoid it like, well, avoid it like the plague. Isn't that what they say? So I take a very, very prudent view to anything that can, uh, that can uh, really affect my quality of life. Uh, and yeah, I'd be incredibly aggressive on the golf course and taking chances to win things because there is no downside. But in terms of, of this, I see it as, as, as a big downside and I, I, I'm happy to, uh, sit it out and wait I, I don't see a year and I, I, okay I'm assuming it's a year uh, obviously it could be more but I don't see a year out of my total life as being a huge deal in terms of competitiveness uh, I worked around it and stayed at home practicing and training and spending quality time with my family that I wouldn't uh, normally have and it, it, it's interesting it's, it's in my nature to find the positivity in it I'm quite an optimist and certainly, you know, when I can control my world, uh, I am very comfortable at the moment. I have to say I went to a restaurant for the first time last week 
uh, two weeks ago now, which so I hadn't been in a restaurant for, for four and a half months. I hadn't been out really like that. And yeah, it was lovely, but I was very conscious where I was. And, and you know, people, you look around and some people are very relaxed, not worried about it because obviously they haven't caught it in the last five months. So they think they're not going to catch it tomorrow. Uh, I'm working on the principle that, you know, maybe so. But if I do catch it, I don't want to be one of the ones who has a, a bad morbidity out of it and, and ends up with a, you know, a debilitating illness uh, down the road. So why, why take that chance? So it's, it's, it's very interesting, as I said. I see younger people and I say, yeah, you know, different people have different risk profiles. I'm 40, 48 years of age. Yeah, if I'm a young guy uh, uh, who's healthy and fit and playing a team sport and playing for everything, yeah, they, should, they drive fast down the road as well, you know. So we, we all have different risk profiles. So I, I think uh, I could see why, like in professional golf, I could see why the people are out there playing. It's just not for me because I don't need to do it at this stage in my career. If I was 24 years of age, I probably would be out there. I, I, I don't know if my... As I've got older, that my uh, risk taking has has got to a stage that I yeah I think older people get to the stage that they don't want to take as many risks and they they're a little bit more prudent and that's where I'm at. I I, I honestly have to say, bar the worries I have for friends and family and you know the odd issue when you're out in the world. I haven't been out much at all. I've enjoyed my actual time at home. I think that optimistic, positive approach is, is a really good uh, place to, to end this podcast. Uh, Podrick, Liam, thank you very much um, for, for your uh, insights for this uh, British Journal of Sports Medicine podcast. <laughs>